0: We did, like a, we did like a fake one at 8 o'clock for the kids, and then uh, it almost wasn't fake. We almost uh, crashed, too. Um, well, we're going to be in Ephesians, so if you want to go to Ephesians chapter 1, um, Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 20. I think one of the things that—I'm um, kind of a nerd when it comes to, like, New Year's and those types of things, because um, I'm, like, I think way too deeply and analyze my life way too much. Um, and, um, but one of the things I think is really good as believers is that there be times— um, it doesn't always just have to be at the beginning of a year, but there'll be times when we evaluate um, and, and think about the journey that we are on. Um, I love the the quote, I think it's by Zig Ziglar, um, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time, Um, and uh, it's really true. Um, At the same time, though, it's amazing how often God does a work in us, apart from us really knowing what's happening, Right? Like, like we can, like, kind of. We're going to talk about prayer, and the last thing I want to do is make you feel like condemned. And because all of us are like, gosh, we should pray more, right? Um, And even in our weakness, and even in our weak, frail pursuits, God is doing a work deeper than our best efforts could afford us. And so, um, as we think about uh, prayer this morning. Really, and as we think about, okay, last year, and man, did, has God been working my heart? Am I growing in maturity? Am I more mature now than I was a year ago? And God, what, what do you have for my life? And just thinking about what it would look like to be, live open-handed and even ask the Lord to stir up our affections for Him more deeply. Um, that's kind of the heart of what I want to do this Sunday, right now, and, and even, even next week. But let's just deal with right now, for now. Um, so we're in Ephesians. And um, I want to give you a little bit of background about the book of Ephesians. Uh, really, the book of Ephesians is probably the best writing we have on what it means to be the church. Um, it's a church that, that Paul really had his hands involved in helping to start. And he comes to this passage in that we're going to look at where he prays what well, we just prayed. And he's praying this over people he's, he's really poured his heart out and his life out for. And he's asking God to do a deep work. But a little thing, a few things about this church called the Church of Ephesus, so they were a pretty faithful people. They were people who endured, um, they were a pretty patient people. Um, they even had a disdain for evil, it says in Revelation chapter 2. Um, Paul loved them. Like if you look down in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, the beginning of our text, it says, For this reason. Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. So Paul's like, he's encouraged by these believers and their angst for the Lord. So much so that he's like, God, God, thanks for them. Like We should pause and just say, we should do that. We should say thanks to God for the people he's put in our lives. And oftentimes, um, it, it's the, the people that we maybe don't even expect that God does a work in and through them to us to really encourage us in him. And that's, that's Paul. That's what Paul's saying here. Um, so Ephesus, if you're familiar at all with Ephesus in, in this culture, in this place, in this time, it was home to one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, uh, the temple of the fertility goddess Artemis. So the city was dedicated to this, to this goddess named Artemis. And so part of what Paul's praying for here, that we're going to, I'm kind of giving you this, as we begin to look through this prayer, you can think about what's Paul's audience and who, who are these people dealing with, right? There's times like we'll talk about and we'll pray through, and how do we as a, as a people live life and engage life in, in, in St. Louis, where violence is happening, where, you know, post-Ferguson, and all these, we've spent a lot of time praying. And who are we to be as God's people here where he's called us to be? And how are we to pray? That's what Paul's doing here. He's going to pray, and he's going to lead these people in light of what's going on in their in their culture, in their immediate context. And their immediate context is that there's this belief that, that this false teaching that there's a way to know God and a way to know, like, The divine, apart from actually who God is. And that's part of this false worship that's happening. So, Paul's gonna, I mean, you're gonna, I mean, you probably heard it when we were praying, but you're gonna hear Paul drawing the hearts of these Ephesian believers to not buy into the lies of false teaching, but to find their truth and sufficiency in who God is, the God of the Bible. And so, um, that's really kind of the heartbeat of, of what's happening. But one of the things we're gonna see. Um, or if, you, if you, you don't have to go there now, but in Revelation chapter 2, the book of uh, the church in Ephesus actually struggled to keep God as their first love. Like they struggled at times with faithfulness. That's encouraging, right? <laughs> You're like, yes, someone else. Um, someone else. And so here, as we dive into this prayer, we're going to kind of take it kind of chunk by chunk, but really twofold. Here, here's two things I want to do is I want to put this kind of prayer over us as, like, the truth about— I just want to kind of analyze the truths that are in this prayer. To teach us more about what prayer is, to teach us more about the Christian life, because I believe the Christian life is a life of prayer. So prayer isn't, like, the side caveat to, like, life. It's, like, pray without ceasing. It's life. Um, so the, uh, to look at the truth of the prayer, but, but more than that, to learn how to pray like this for people that God's put in our lives for us to love. That's what Paul's doing. These are individuals that God's put in his life for him to love and him to pour his heart into. And these are the words, this is his heart, that God would do this in them. So let's see what, what it is. Um, let's analyze this a bit. Um, 17, or let's back up 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul, out of the gate, his prayer, I mean, it's pretty simple. Pretty simple. His prayer, his prayer is, God, I pray that they would know you better. Like it doesn't get more simple than that. God, God, my prayer for these brothers and sisters, that they would know you better. But he kind of unpacks it really in two ways. He, he brings to light this idea that we need, we need the spirit to know God. So he says that the spirit, I pray that you'd give them the spirit of wisdom, Okay, what's wisdom? Anybody? The capacity not only to understand and know, but to actually walk out, right? To actually live out um, this call that God has on our lives, okay? Um, Have you ever struggled with this reality that like I'm smart enough to run my own life? All of us have. Right, like we we get in this mode where it's like I, I got this, and even when we know we don't got it, we say we got it. Right, um, it's crazy because like that's taking a posture of sovereignty. That's what prayerlessness is. It's a posture of sovereignty. It's saying like I'm bigger, I'm better. I know I'm. I can handle this. Okay, but Paul here is diving into really this not only like to know what to do, but then to how to actually do it, right? Because we could talk all day long, and Paul's praying that God, they would, these believers would know him better. We could talk all day long about, like, we know we need to do something, but it doesn't change it unless we actually do it, unless the Spirit of God comes and works in our hearts, right? Like So we can, we can think on this idea of prayer and, like, I should pray more, um, you know, or as if, like, hitting the snooze is some uh, hyper-spiritual way to engage in, like, dream prayer or something crazy like that, right? Like, we can know something, but apart from doing it, what does knowing it accomplish? Nothing, essentially, right? It's like you can think healthy thoughts while you're eating all this sugar. It doesn't make the sugar good for you, right? So Paul's saying... We need the spirit of God to bring wisdom. That's what he's praying for these believers. We need the spirit of God to bring us wisdom and it actually takes walking out what God's revealing to us. That's what he's saying. That you may give, that, uh, let's see, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better in the knowledge of him. Um, I think one of the most important um, One of the most basic prayers we can pray is, God, help me to know you. Because where we're we're honest about where we don't know God or where we don't understand, where we're desperate for God to speak into our lives and our hearts, I think that's the most prime spot for the Spirit to come and show us who he is and show us wisdom. Um, But the other thing is revelation. That's what it says, right? The the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I love this one. Um, So we talked about this. This dedication of the temple to this goddess named Artemis. So, this is one of the cultural things. You can imagine some of the false teachings and some of the false doctrines that are coming out of this cultural reality that's going on in Ephesus because of idol worship, because of false gods. Okay? Revelation in this text, what Paul is praying for these believers is that they would see life in a way that they didn't know existed. Like, hear that. Like, that's awesome. Like, he's praying that they, that they would see, that they would have a perspective on life that they didn't know they could have. Okay, have you ever seen um, the show um, Extreme Home Makeover? okay where you have this like piece of trash home that like these people these guys and gals come in and they're like crazy architects and designers and they come in and they just like redo the whole thing and you get kind of bits and pieces you know that you see them redoing but you, you don't really see the finished product and then at the very end they take i don't know whoever it is the the person they're doing the home for whatever they get they put them like behind this big bus right and then the guys like move that bus come on you guys seen this it's like i know it's not on anymore but like Okay, well, pretend that you've seen this, because apparently this is a horrible illustration, but spirit of wisdom, come on. Um, And what happens? Like, they reveal the home, and it's, like, unbelievable. Right? Like, how, like, you could never have dreamt up or imagined that they could have taken this piece of dump and turned it into what they turned it into. And they move that bus away and it's revealed in a way that you, you never could have imagined. OK now, that's what Paul is praying for these believers, is that they would see life, is that you and I would, would have a revelation through the Spirit of God, that we would see life in a way that we didn't know existed. You know how that happens? Through prayer. Through prayer, where we, we ask, that, like, what if I told you, like, there was more to your life than you knew? But I didn't know what it was. But I knew someone who did. Like, what would you do? Like, what if I told you that, like, there was a deeper way to live, that God had more for you? I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what that looks like for me. That's what Paul's praying Revelation, to uncover, to take out of hiding, a perspective that we've never seen or never known. I'm not talking about unraveling some mysterious truth in the Bible that no, no Christians for all of time have ever known. I'm talking about growing in our understanding and maturity of the Lord. It'd be like me saying there's a, there's a treasure in your backyard and it's worth a whole lot of money, but you, you just didn't really take the time to dig it up right? Like, like the pursuit of God and the pursuit of prayer is the greatest treasure that we have. Isn't it just so much easier oftentimes to just listen to the radio when you're in your car? Um, or to hit the snooze, or to just resort to Netflix, because there's a lot of really cool things on Netflix, let's just be honest. And to not be intentional about man, I, I'm just going to pause right now on my day. I'm going to put things aside just for a minute. God, reveal yourself to me. God, teach me. God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand what you're doing. I need to see differently. That's what Paul's praying for these believers. Let me ask you these two questions. Are you seeking to know God better through prayer? And who are you praying this for? Gosh, use the Bible. Use the scripture to pray the will of God. Um, let's look at the next phrase verse 18 having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe let's focus in on the phrase having the eyes of your heart enlightened um does anyone find that phrase odd It's weird. Like, can we just be honest when we come to stuff in the Bible that's weird and just say it's weird? It's weird. Does anybody know anybody that has a heart with eyes on it? No. So well, like, what, what is Paul praying? Because there's no eyes on heart. My eyes are here. My eyes aren't here. But Paul's prayer is that these believers and that you and I would go from a place of seeing with our heads and seeing with our heart. Would go cause cause here's what's crazy. That's how God sees. Like we live in a, we live in a culture and a context where everything is about the outward, right? Everything's about like what's going on out here, like how do you look and like are you presentable and how like all these different things and is, are people in all of your life? Like do you live a tweetable life or an Instagrammable life? But what is Paul saying? He's saying, well, God cares about what's here because what's here actually is going to flow out here. Um, he's teaching us that prayer enables us to see things as God sees them, as they really are. So my daughter's seven, and at the beginning of the school year we had to get her glasses, and we didn't know she needed glasses for seven years of her life. Oops. <laughs> Um, she put on, she got her glasses, she came home, and we're in the kitchen, she put them on, and she looked at me, and she said, Daddy, your face isn't blurry. I was like, huh. Yeah, like, multiple emotions, like, is is that a great thing? Is that a, like, of an awful parent? Like, is that a, like, so, like, but here's what's crazy, is... She didn't know what life looked like apart from those glasses, right? She thought all along that she was seeing life the way life was and the way life should be. And she got help. And she saw life completely different. Paul's prayer here is having the eyes of your heart enlightened. His prayer here is that and that the Spirit would actually bring revelation to us to see life in a new way, to see life in a different way um, through who God is. So that we would then go from this place of it's all about the outward to this place of the heart. If you're familiar with the passage, that says man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. It's so easy, it's so easy. Because think about this, when we, when we see things with our heads, with eyes in our head, it's all about us. But it takes the humility and the work of God to, to humble us to where we are stirred up with affection for the Lord as he probes our heart. We begin to see things as he sees it. That's what Paul's praying. That your eyes of your heart would be open. You're like wow never seen that before it's crazy and it's frustrating because god cares more about the process of faith than he does the moment of faith right oftentimes we think about we think about prayer we think about how we're called to live and like this moment and this outward like how am i now and god's like i care yes i care about that moment but i care about what that moment means for the whole of your faith and the whole of your journey an actual heart motive. So Paul's praying. We're talking about the eyes of the heart, but he's also saying that we would begin to see God better than everything. Um, there, so there's this Puritan by the name of John Owen, and when I read this this week, like it just it just got me because it's it's crazy. It says this. O to behold the glory of Christ. Herein would I live, herein would I die, hereon would I dwell in my thoughts and my affections until all things here below become as dead and deformed things, and in no longer any way calling out for my affections. This is Paul's prayer for these believers, and even his prayer for us, and should be our prayer is that God would stir up our hearts with a greater affection. Like, I just, this is incredible. Like, I want to post this and pray it all the time. Until all things here below become as dead and deformed things and in no longer any way calling out for my affection. Can I just, can I just ask this question? Like, are there things in your life that you're just like, I just wish that would no longer steal my affection? You ever, you ever feel the weight of that? I just wish that sin and that unbelief and where my heart goes, like, I just, I long for that not to take my affection, but it does. And I just say that's a holy angst and a healthy angst for the believer. And it's a, it's a cry to the Lord. That He hears, even though we don't think He hears it. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, God enlighten our our hearts to see You deeply. Um, Paul really takes this deeper. In three ways. So if you see verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, and he's gonna he's gonna go deeper to talk about how they're enlightened. So how do we see with a with a deeper perspective? Keep reading, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So hope. He's like my prayer for these believers, my prayer for the church, my prayer for North Church, my prayer for the the global church is that we would have a perspective of hope, of renewed hope. Hope, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Isn't it crazy that oftentimes when we pray, as Paul's not doing this here, which is why I'm pointing this out, when we pray, we make prayer about answers, not about the journey to hope. We just want God to like do this now, do this now, God, I'm waiting for you to respond, I need an answer and God's like, no, like, this is about hope. This is about, about you journeying that we would be a people that would learn to find hope where he's called us. First and foremost, we'd learn to find hope in him. Right? Because he is our hope. Not like a, like, oh, I, I hope, you know, like I hope he comes through. <laughs> um, but like this confident expectation as sure as the sun rises, that He is God and He is good and He's called us into His presence. But secondarily, finding hope in where He's called you. Where's He called you? Where are you at in your life? What is God leading you to live out and leading you to do? There's where you will find His presence. And where you try not to find his presence in those things, you're really abandoning hope. Listen to how Paul writes it in Ephesians 2. Remember, this is Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So he's talking to these believers in Ephesus, like pre-salvation, prior to them putting their trust in Jesus. And he says, You were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. So let me just, that's kind of like super theological, and let me just boil that down. Here's what it means, is that these individuals did not have going for them all the good that God is for them. They hadn't said, God, I'm yours. So all the good that God was, wasn't for them until they said, God, I'm yours. And what did that afford them? What does it say? having no hope and without God in the world. So the most hopeless reality is a life lived without God. Because when we try to go about our day apart from God, apart from God, I need your help. And what happens to the church of Ephesus? We we learn from Revelation chapter 2 that they'd begun to forsake their first love. So there's this, there's this stirring that Paul's praying for that they'd find hope. But here's what's crazy: he says that that they would know it, right? You see that, like that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. Okay, so um, have any of you been on vacation to like a really, really, really cool place? Where, where have you been? I don't even know where that is. Indonesia. Indonesia. Anybody else been to Indonesia on a vacation? Yeah. Okay. Some people are like, put your hands down. Okay. Um, <laughs> <Orlando>. <laughs> uh, when's the next one? We're, <laughs> when's your next vacation? We're, we're all going with you. Um, so, so, if I said, if I said um, what would a vacation to Indonesia be like? We we could respond in one of two ways, imagination or reality. Maybe we, maybe we should go with like vacation to Branson. Maybe that would be a little bit easier. <laughs> okay. Yes, but um, no. So we like we could speculate and like okay, there is such a thing as a vacation to Indonesia. Um, m- many of us have just have not experienced that, and it's probably amazing. And like we could speculate that imagination, but like. Like, what was it like? <laughs> you, just, you, just, you just ruined my point. You just ruined my point. Let's go back to Branson. <laughs> okay, so they can, they can speak from reality, right? Like we can speculate what it's like, what it must be like there, But they can say, here's where we've experienced, here's what it was actually like based on actual experience. What are Paul's words? That you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. And he's not talking about speculation or imagination. He's talking about an actual, experiential no. Like some of you, Maybe you'd want to share it. Like, what, what's a way you've, exp- what's a circumstance in your life that you've ex- you experienced, you actually experienced the hope of Christ? Anybody, anybody have one? Like, just like a two-second, like, this situation. Like, were you like, man, I experienced Christ in that moment or in that situation. Anybody? I know we have them. You tell me later if you don't want to share them. But we have those situations. That's what Paul's, he's saying, we can know hope. We can journey to actually experience the God of hope and not just like, I bet it's helpful. But we can know it. That's his prayer, that we would know it. That he's a God who we don't have to like, God, I I, I don't know what you're doing right now, but I hope it's good. Can I just say, if you're thinking that or praying that, like, Let's just just say you're wrong. Because it's good. In spite of maybe the unknown of what it is. Or how something might turn out. It's good. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Because he's a God of hope. That we experience. Not that we speculate or imagine about. But we can actually walk in. And trust and find that he is everything right where he's called us to be. Gosh, it's amazing. So, so great. Um, The other one is inheritance. Look at the rest of the phrase. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So, Paul here is really, his desire for this church in Ephesus, his desire for us is that we would know how rich we are, right? Like, like inher- what's an inheritance? It's something that's afforded to you, apart from really anything you did, right? You know, like, you don't choose to be in the family you're in, like, I because like, otherwise we could really, like, let's talk about some of the families we want to be in, right? Like, which, whose inheritance do we want to get, right? But, like... Paul's saying, gosh, God, help us know how great we have it as your people. That there's no greater inheritance. None. God, help us to get that. So here's what's crazy. The church in Ephesus says that in Revelation chapter 2 that they struggled in forsaking their first love. Listen, you walk away from your first love when you stop realizing how glorious it is. You walk away from loving, like when something's glorious, what do you do? You press into that. Like you run after that. Now, you might need some glasses. You might not be seeing properly. I might not be seeing, I might think it's glorious and I might be running into that and saying like, yes, this has my affection, this has my heart. And God's like, no, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. Like that's, well that's going to run dry. But the inheritance that comes in your trust and faith in me is glorious. Listen to how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's what we just talked about. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. So he's, he's saved us into, if you're in Christ, he offers this salvation into a living hope. To an inheritance that's, these are amazing words, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Do you realize that all that God is and all that God has, he says, because of Christ is ours? Like, that's unbelievable. And he's like, feast on it. And how, I, how often we're like, um, God, actually I have a better plan. So you could just give me a little bit now and I'm going to go. And like, I think eating with the pigs would be more glorious. <laughs> it's like, you're familiar with that story, the prodigal son. Who, by God's power being guarded through the faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. Paul continues and he says, This, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So he's praying that we'd have our eyes. The eyes of our heart enlightened to what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So, so let's just be clear here that if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't have the immeasurable greatness of his power available to you. Can we just be clear there? So it's like all that God is, he says, is yours. If you want it to be yours. oftentimes we don't. But notice what he's saying here. Paul's prayer is that our eyes would be changed regarding God's, regarding God's affection for us. Like, I, I love this, these words where he says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance, or, I'm sorry, 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Like, he's like, you can't put a tape to it. You cannot measure it. It's incredible. It's so great. You cannot measure it. It's interesting, I said earlier that prayerlessness is this posture of, of sovereignty where we, we view, like, God, I, I got this. When we think about this passage where it talks about God's affection for us, like we cannot even measure how much he loves and has set his affection on us. The Lord hit me with this, this week, that another posture of sovereignty is self loathing or self-hatred or like, like I'm not good enough. Because you know what that does? You know what that does when I do that? Is it says, I'm somehow better than God because God set his affection on me. And if I'm not good enough, then I'm somehow like, I'm more sovereign than God that I could say, I'm not worthy of that. It's like, no, I've pursued you and I've set my affection on you. I'm for you. Why? Look at how the passage ends. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Why has God set his affection on us? Because of Christ. Christ. Through Christ. It's the only, like, all the stuff we've been talking about, Paul's prayer, that we would have the eyes of our heart enlightened, that we'd see how amazing he is, is all because of what Christ did through his death. But specifically, what he did through his resurrection and the fact that he's alive. And the Bible says that presently, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's pleading, like, this is ridiculous. He's pleading before the Father for you and for me. Right now. Like if that doesn't give you goosebumps, like you know how many people are in the world? You know how many problems there are in the world? You know, how many people are like, God help me, God, like He's right now for the Christian you by name. He's interceding on your behalf. It's incredible. It's incredible. Paul's prayer is that that we would sit in the weight of this that we would grab a hold of this that this would like stir our affections to press in more deeply because let's just be honest there's nothing in the world more strengthening and more hope-filled than knowing you are loved and accepted nothing Having two adopted kids, they've been with us two years, they've been without their mom for a year and a half, we still see the residue of their broken love. We still see it, and we probably will for some time, but God's like doing a work in them, but there's a residue of that broken love where sometimes they're like, gosh, am I in? Am I, like, am I yours? Like, are you, you going to leave me? Like, am I going to lose you? there 's that residue like that like i don 't know why is because the security of love, gosh it doesn 't matter who you are it doesn 't matter what you do, you are mine and you are loved that 's God, and that 's paul 's words, and that 's paul 's prayers that we 'd press into that. So two questions, and, and then we'll pray this prayer together. How can you more consistently position yourself in a posture of prayer this year? I use this. Use this prayer to pray these words. Isn't it like, I read these words and it's convicting because I'm like, man, sometimes I just throw junk up at heaven like, or God, help. Which is fine if that's all you got, right? Like, I don't know what to say. like. Uh, but... Well, man, read the Bible and find people in Scripture that pray and then take those prayers and take the Scripture and pray them to God? Because I read this and I, I feel invited into praying more boldly and more abundantly for God to work, which isn't me trying to figure out some cool thing to say, which is me, like, using these words and saying, God, do this in our lives. And, and lastly, who has the Lord called you to minister to like Paul that you will begin praying for them like Paul is praying for them? Why don't we pray these words and then we're, we'll, uh, we'll respond to the Lord? Um, let's, uh, I, I want to read them and then we'll have them, we'll, we'll pray them together. This stuff's just so rich. It says, you are the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. We pray that you may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better. We pray that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened. That we may know the hope to which you have called us. That we may know the riches of your glorious inheritance for us. That we may know the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who are believe. Thank you for the working of your great might. You worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heaven, heavenly places. Can we pray this together? Let's stand up. I just kind of want to use these words as, man, now that we've kind of sat under the truthfulness of this, let's pray these together and, and then we'll uh, see what the Lord has in response time. Pray this with, with me. You are the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and we pray that you may give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation to know you better. We pray that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we may know the hope to which you have called us, that we may know the riches of your glorious inheritance for us that we may know the immeasurable greatness of Your power toward us who believe. Thank You for the working of Your great might that You worked in Christ when You raised Him from the dead and seated Him at Your right hand in the heavenly places. God, we, we ask these things of You. God, I and probably most of those in the sound of my voice, we want more of you. We want to know you more. We want to be more devoted to you. We want to trust you more. And God, uh, how great is it that you want that for us more than we do. And so we ask that you would do that in our hearts and our lives even this morning. That you would beckon us, that you would lead us to trust, that you'd show us where we're doubting and where we need to surrender, and God, that truly the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. God, thanks for your word. It's amazing. Thanks for your love. It's so, so healing and so good. Um, God, would you lead us as we respond to the Lord? In Christ's name, amen. Amen.